Welcome to Cato Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, March 16th. I'm Anastasia Yuglova. Retired Lieutenant General William Odom, currently a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and former director of the National Security Agency from 1985 to 1988, spoke at a Cato Institute conference Wednesday, arguing for immediate pullout of troops from Iraq. His argument, in essence, is that victory is not an option. I'll just let General Odom speak for himself. General, would you say that the troop surge is a failure to admit failure? The troop surge has no prospects of success because it deals with tactical issues, not the strategic problem. And our judgments about the effectiveness of the surge are going to be misunderstood, are going to be distorted, misleading, when they look good and when they look bad. So looking at this thing as either a success or not a success kind of misses the more critical point which we need to be focused on. Can this cause a strategic change? And it clearly cannot. Did we make tactical errors in the execution of this war that essentially cost us the victory? That's one of the great myths that should be put away. There was no correct way or effective way to fight this war. The war was not in our interest. It was the interest of Iran and al-Qaeda. How can you win a war that's accomplishing the goals of your enemies? That's the paradox of the whole war. And once you get that into your head and realize the inexorable nature of that, you begin to understand why a lot of arguments for staying there just don't hold water. You've said that you find comparisons to Vietnam instructive. How so? The first analogy with Vietnam is a misguided strategic purpose. Containing China was the slogan that the Secretary of State voiced again and again and again. There was confusion about what goal to seek from 1961 to 65. But eventually, containing China, preventing a domino effect for communist takeovers, was the one chosen. In fact, preventing the expansion of Chinese influence was already a key Soviet aim by 1965. The North Vietnamese were also much committed to the containment of China. Ho Chi Minh hated the Chinese. We saw the Chinese invade Vietnam in 1979, and their army did poorly against the Vietnamese army. Ho Chi Minh had been an agent of the U.S. OSS during World War II, helping us recover our pilots who were shot down in Southeast Asia. We knew, at least some of the old OSS veterans, knew that he was effectively a Southeast Asian Tito, not pro-Chinese. If you wanted to contain China, Ho Chi Minh was a useful person to do it for us rather than to go in and do it for the Soviets with half a million troops. Then how did we decide to do that? We eventually used phony intelligence about the Tonkin Gulf activities and went to war for a misguided purpose. The second analogy is from 1965 to 68-69, When we refused to review the strategic purpose, we said that's by. Now the issue is how to fight this appropriately or effectively. In other words, we stopped talking about strategy and refused to talk about anything but tactics, as if the war could be won, very much as we're doing in Iraq. When how can you win a war that's not in your interest? It wasn't in our interest to do that. That argument bogged down with the increasing effectiveness of the VC and the North Vietnamese Army. And we saw the third phase of phony diplomacy in Paris, thinking that the Soviets and the North Vietnamese were going to help us ease our pain to get out. 
And number two, Vietnamization is a policy in South Vietnam. The issue wasn't Vietnamization of the military. It was political consolidation. There was no political consolidation. There was no government or political party that could challenge the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese and carrying the banner of Vietnamese nationalism. It was not communism they bought into. It was Vietnamese nationalism. So building up a better Vietnamese army wasn't going to do anything to solve that political problem. That's exactly what we're headed into now with Iraqization and phony diplomacy among the three parties, the Shiites, the Sunnis, and the Kurds, to reach some kind of deal on a constitution. And I think that will be no more successful than the diplomacy in Paris. And Iraqization is like trying to put a roof on a house without walls. Now, you refer to America's interventions in Iraq as an attempt to impose order by ventriloquism. That's an interesting way of putting it. Well, we're telling them they need to be constitutional. We're drafting their language, and we're asking them to vote to accept it. And what do we do? We pay them to accept it. Okay, but how do we exit Iraq without giving al-Qaeda the freedom to claim victory? It's politically and diplomatically unpalatable to lose this war. They will do that, and that's the price we have to pay. There's no way to avoid that now. What you can do is refuse to get out, stay longer, and make that victory look even greater for al-Qaeda. If we pull out, how do we proceed? What are the diplomatic first steps? Once you start moving out, once the U.S. decides it shows it actually is going to move out, you will see the attitude of the countries around Iraq, contiguous on Iraq, change about dealing with the U.S. and about multilateral negotiations to prevent the spillover of the disorders there into the region and to keep this from becoming a region-wide war. There will be forces to try to drag the Arabs and the Persians into this war. There will also be efforts to drag the Turks in. But when they see that they're going to face that with the U.S. out, then I think you're going to see their attitude about cooperation change. I also think you will see European attitudes about joining a coalition on a global scale to try to build a dam around the expansion of instability there. Uh, that will be possible. But until we get out, those kinds of changes are not possible. Just a quick question to follow up on your comment about the Taliban. Did I hear you say that we should begin to negotiate with the Taliban in Afghanistan? I said that reaching some kind of effective central government in Afghanistan, which is constitutional, is not going to happen. Not in three or four or five or six or ten years out there with the U.S. and NATO involved. So sooner or later, we're going to have to devise an exit from Afghanistan that's as painless as we can have, and we're going to have some pain. We should even consider things as radical as saying to the Taliban, if you renounce al-Qaeda, we will not help you back in power, but we will cease opposing you. That's a speculative idea. I don't know whether it worked. There may be good political reasons for it not doing it. I merely threw it out as a mind-expanding exercise, not as a practical policy that I would try to implement right now. I certainly would not do that today. And I think there's only a low chance that the Taliban would, would agree to that. The majority of support for the Cato Institute's work comes from individuals, and Cato depends solely on tax-deductible contributions to provide the public with a wealth of free resources, including this podcast. We hope you'll consider supporting or even joining Cato. For information, please go to www.cato.org.